0: Okay, we're doing now the Chumash of Ayachi Friday's portion, in which we conclude the blessings that he's giving his sons. There's one more son he needs to bless, Benjamin. And then he gives them the final instructions, and we read of his passing and what happened after that. So the final blessing for Benjamin, verse 27. Benjamin is a wolf who will maul. In the morning he will devour spoils. In the evening he will distribute plunder. So Rashi says what this means here is that Jacob is prophesizing that the tribe of Benjamin are going to be grabbers. In other words, a wolf is considered a grabber because he takes his prey to his lair before eating it. So Benjamin are going to be grabbers as after the whole incident with the concubine at Giva, the, the Jewish people went to war with Benjamin, and it's a whole long, long story. But in the end, they had to grab, so to speak, for themselves, their wives. So in this, it became actualized, Jacob's prophecy and blessing, that they will be able to grab. It also is a prophecy concerning She-She-ul, Saul, the first king of the Jews, was from Benjamin, who will vanquish all the enemies around. Now it says, in the morning he will devour spoils, in the evening he will distribute plunder. So this is talking about two periods of time. So Rashi explains, in the morning he will devour spoils. This is, speaking of Saul, Well, again, he was the first king of the Jewish people, that so the morning, the beginning of the Jews' reign, he's shining. In the evening he will distribute plunder, this doesn't mean even after the sun of the Jews has set meaning after the destruction of the first temple, the Jews are exiled to Babylonia, who emerges as leaders, ultimately Mordechai and Esther, who come from Benjamin. So here, in the end, they're distributing the plunder because it says they received the plunder, the house payment Haman was given to Esther. That's how Rashi is explaining it. Rashi also brings an uncle who says this plunder we're talking about is what the priests share in the offerings in the temple. Now, why is the priest and the offering in the temple having to do with Benjamin? You think that'll be a blessing for Levi? But the temple was in, as we've learned already, Benjamin's portion. So therefore, the plunder of the offerings—though not that the people from that tribe ate the offerings—but still, is part of Benjamin's portion. Now we have finished blessing each of the tribes, and then the verse continues. All these are the tribes of Israel, 12, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. Each according to his blessing, he blessed them. The Rashi says, the first question is, it doesn't seem he blessed everyone. Some of them it seems he he reproached them. But this is the point that the verse is trying to say. What their father said that you might think was not a blessing to Reuven and Simon and Levi, that's not true. Each of them was really a blessing. And what does it mean, each according to his blessing, he blessed them? So Rashi says something very interesting. It says, the blessing which was destined to come upon each one, meaning, Jacob perceived, intellectually or more probably prophetically, that each of his sons was suited for a particular blessing. So he blessed each one with what he considered the blessing appropriate for him to increase the likelihood of his personal blessing from God to be fulfilled. So each one according to the natural blessing that he already had he blessed him to give him the ability to actualize his blessing the third interest in Rashi and this first it says each according to his blessing he blessed them you think would say each according to his blessing he blessed him why he blessed them so Rashi says he gave each tribe their own specific forte. Like we just had Benjamin as the the grabbing wolf and then Judah, the might of the lion, and Naftali, the swiftness of the deer. But really he blessed them. Every blessing that he gave every specific tribe generically was really for all the Jewish people. So they all received all the blessings. The verse continues, and he instructed them, and he said to them, I shall be brought into my people Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Interesting, we keep giving honor to Ephron here. So what does this mean as we brought into my people? So Rash explains that we use this word to be brought in because we're bringing in the soul to the place where the souls are stored away, so to speak. What does it mean, to, with my fathers? It means now I'm going to my fathers. I'm going to be with my fathers. In other words, normally it's L would mean to my fathers, but to my fathers doesn't make sense in context. So Rashi's clarifying here it means with my fathers. Next verse. In the cave there is the field of Machpelah, which faces Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought. It's the field from Ephraim, the Hittite as a burial estate. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Purchase of the field and the cave within it from the sons of Chit. When Jacob finished instructing his sons, he drew in his feet onto the bed. He expired and was brought into his people. So he drew in his feet, Rashi says. What well, Rashi says, we to say of means he drew in his feet. Meaning again, this is the same root word of to gather and to bring in. And then it says he expired and was brought in, which something unusual is here because usually expired is a term used at the passing of a saint. So usually it would say he expired and he died. But here it like forgot the word died. So our sages say, why didn't say he died? It says he expired. Why didn't say he, and he died? Because our sages say, our rabbis say that Jacob, our father, did not die. There are many, 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 many explanations. What does it mean he didn't die? Why did he die? How didn't he die? Um, as we're going to see in the next verse, it's very clear that the brothers knew he didn't die because the next verse says that Joseph kissed him. And obviously, according to Torah Jewish law, it's forbidden to kiss a dead man. So obviously Joseph knew he was still alive. Um, again, many explanations, basic explanation following... The Talmud and Rashi on the Talmud and Labashar's approach to Rashi and the Talmud is that the soul of Jacob always stayed in his body. Jacob was buried, as we're going to read in tremendous detail in these next verses. He was buried in the land of Israel in the cave of Machpelah, Marath Machpelah, of course, still exists till today in Hebron. But there, in the cave of Machpelah, Jacob is alive, soul and body. Well, why is he alive, soul and body? What does that help him, so to speak, being in the cave, buried? The answer is that every one of our fathers embodied one of God's traits. Abraham, kindness. Isaac, justice. Judgment, strength. And Jacob, beauty. Compassion, truth. Beauty, compassion, truth, it's all one attribute. Truth, in Jewish perspective, doesn't mean you're not lying. Truth means the quality of being eternal. So since Jacob was the human embodiment of God's truth, he couldn't die. Because death would mean there was a stoppage in his life. And stoppage means it's not completely true. There's a law that if, if, a, if a spring of water dries up once in seven years, it's considered false water. Then you can't use it for certain ritual services because they're false. Because once in seven years, they drive up. Well, it's six and a half other years, the water's flowing. It doesn't make if it's going to dry up once in seven years, all of the waters are false. So if Jacob on, on a level would die, like normal human beings do, his truth is limited. If his truth is limited, it's an implication on the limitation of God's truth, because he's the human body and the body of God's truth. So therefore, Jacob continued alive in the case of Nachpela, soul and body. Just another way, I mean, there are many ways, and they're all true. They're all concurrently true. Another way of understanding the eternal life of Jacob if he's alive inside every Jew. As every Jew is alive, Jacob continues to live because Jacob's energy is invested in every Jew. So as you exist as a Jew, Jacob is continuously alive, soul and body. And it means to say he's alive as a soul is is like saying, oh, the sun. Sh- I swear the sun shining has Well, obviously, I swear his soul is still alive. Obviously, as is the case for every Jew. But he's a soul in a body, in the body of every single Jew, and every single Jew. There's a piece of the soul of Jacob. As long as the Jewish people are alive, Jacob will always stay alive, soul, and body. And the Jewish people will always stay alive because Jacob, being God's truth, always has to be alive. Both of those explanations are correct and concurrent, as well as many others. So, the next verse. And Joseph fell upon his father's face. He wept over him and kissed him. Joseph ordered his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Embalming, Rashi says, means not like sex and all those things about the victims would which embalm, but these blending of spices on his body. And 40 days were completed for him, for thus are the days of embalming completed, and, the, and Egypt bewailed him for 70 days. So Rashi explains that when they finished Embalming him, again, not embalming him in the Egyptian term of embalming, but it's finished putting on these compressions of spices for 40 days. They then wailed him. They cried over him for another 30 days, meaning it seems to imply, well, they embalmed him for 40 and then cried for 70. That doesn't make sense. You're not going to say, oh, I'm not going to mourn for the person. After 40 days, I'll start mourning. So obviously, for the entire 40-day period, they were mourning, and they continued for another 30 days. Why did the Egyptians cry so much? So Rashi explains because Jacob brought tremendous blessing to them, as we've said before. Two enormous blessings they associated with Jacob. famine ended, and the waters of the Nile increased, both of which were very, very relevant to every Egyptian's life. And that's why Jacob knew they would not want him to leave Egypt, because they would view him as a good talesman, or a god, and therefore they would want him to stay to continue to bring them blessings. And his bewailing period passed, and Joseph spoke to Pharaoh's household, saying, If you please, if I have anything in your eyes, speak now in the ear of Pharaoh, saying, My father has made me promise, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my grave, which I have dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you are to bury me. Now I will go up, if you please, and bury my father. Then I will return. So he says here, Joseph. To Pharaoh, quoting Jacob, this place that I have dug for myself. So Rashi gives three explanations here. First, the simple meaning, digging is like yeah, I, I so to speak, I dug out this place, this this burial plot. A uh, midrashic explanation explains that dug is like the idea of acquired, as Rabbi says that in certain cities they would call selling digging. This is like, it doesn't mean I dug out the cave, but I acquired the cave. The third explanation, which also relates to this idea, this word doesn't mean dig here, but another etymological root is karee which means a pile, a heap. That Jacob, as we've actually already learned, took all the silver and gold that he had earned in the house of Lavan. He made a huge heap of it. And he said to Asaph, take this. This is for your share in the cave, which is why... As we said yesterday, that Naphtali ran back to Egypt to get that deed of sale. Because truly, they could in the of, like, you have no force in the cave. You've got all the silver, silver and silver. It's not for people like you. <laughs> so, going back to the verse, and Pharaoh said, Go and bury your father as he has made you swear. So, Raji says, like, Why are we emphasizing this? My father made me swear. Do it because he made you swear. Pharaoh is saying, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. Obviously, on one hand he didn't want Jacob to leave, this is a good luck for Egypt. And he didn't want Joseph to leave. Joseph I mean, Joseph's been ruling, like we said. Ultimately Joseph ruled Egypt for eighty years. You know, obviously he was running the show quite well and Pharaoh didn't want him to leave either. But Joseph said I saw which is what we said when we learned those verses, that's why Jacob had to quit. I fool." If you tell me, there, eh, don't give your word, well, I made a promise to you. What was the promise Joseph made to Pharaoh? it says that, so remember, if we go back to, Joseph gets pulled out of the prison. Remember, he bathes, he shaves, he does a brilliant interpretation of the dream. We said it was so brilliant because he managed in his explanation of the strategy of during the years of plenty, save for the years of famine, during the years of famine, you'll be eating from the years of plenty, so it was, brilliant interpretation explanation that actually made everything in the dream make perfect sense and she was like okay well, like you should be the one like you should be the next ruler we had this little technical issue which is according to the laws at that time a ruler in Egypt needed to know all 70 languages so it's next morning Joseph has to prove suddenly they're expecting this boy who grew up in the land of Canaan was a slave since 17 has now been in the prison for many many years now he's 30 and he's supposed to suddenly know 70 languages So it says the angel came to him that night and taught him all 70 languages. So the next day, he was ascending step upon step in the throne to Pharaoh's throne, the steps leading up to the throne. And each step, he conversed with Pharaoh in another one of these 70 languages. everyone's quite impressed, because, of course, nobody thought he could really do it. I don't know what they would have done if he couldn't. Maybe they would have made him an administrator, but not like the ruler of Egypt. But he's going and going and going and He's conversing and Pharaoh's conversing. Pharaoh also knew all 70 languages. And then he starts speaking in a language and Pharaoh doesn't know it. And that's the language of Lashna the Holy Tongue. And that language Pharaoh didn't know. And, but of course, he could speak to him in another 70 languages that nobody else knew there either. So he said to him, "Whoa, well, you know a language I don't. Like, I'm in trouble. You have to swear to me, you will never tell anyone that I don't know this language. And Joseph swore. So Pharaoh is saying to now, now it is many, many, many years later. It's, I could tell you, uh, um, 26 years later. Now it's 26 years later. But 26 years later, Pharaoh still knows he does not want to lose face in the eyes of his people that he actually doesn't know all languages. Pharaoh saying, listen, you made a promise. I'm not going to tell you to break your promise because I don't want you to break the promise to make to me. If it wasn't for that promise, trust me, I would not let you go. So we see here Joseph's understanding. It wasn't so simple being the Jewish boy and ruler of Egypt. And we see here Jacob's connection to God to know, to make sure Joseph swore, to make sure this will be actualized. Okay, so we'll stop at this point. Good job,